Welcome to PNCC Speak, the language of executives. I'm John Bernstein, Regional President of PNC Bank in New England, alongside my co-host, Carolyn Jones, publisher of the Boston Business Journal. Thanks, John. It's great to be with you on PNCC Speak. Each podcast features local executives talking about relevant and timely business topics. This knowledge sharing platform showcases leaders with forward-thinking approaches that disrupt the status quo and cause us to think differently. Our guest today is Stefania Mallette, co-founder and CEO, Easy Cater. Stefania, welcome. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Perhaps start with sharing a little bit about your career trajectory. My career trajectory, I started as an engineer and pretty rapidly became a business person. I love mixing how technology works for business and how humans can use technology. It's a great combination. I spent a lot of years working for other people in large and small companies and then decided about 20 years ago to become an entrepreneur. And it's a serial business. I've been involved in multiple companies, starting and helping other people start multiple companies. The one I'm in now is by far the most successful thing I've ever been part of. It's fantastic. I have to do like two seconds about what Easy Cater is. We are a company that creates food solutions, corporate food solutions to support everything from sales meetings that you're having in your business or at a client site to daily employee meals for hundreds and hundreds of your employees anywhere in the country. Uh, we have more than 82,000 restaurants that we work with anywhere in the country for business people to find food for every kind of business event. It's been very successful and it's really used everything I have learned in all of my previous career and taught me a lot of new stuff as well. Wow, that's pretty neat. So given that then, maybe expand on that and share with us what are some of the moments that mattered in shaping who you are as a leader and what you're doing now? Moments that mattered. Boy, I have so many. And I learned them from people everywhere. Uh, I remember a time when I worked for a company that was in hindsight, I see one of the worst companies I ever worked for. At the time, I didn't know. I was very young. And I remember when I left, I thought I was quite young. And I remember being asked, you know, well, if you had any advice for us, what advice would you give us? And I was very surprised they asked. And I told them the truth. I was quite young. I was blushing. I was shaking. But I told them the truth about how the workplace felt to me. And when I walked out of there, I thought, well, they're gonna just hate me forever. And four or five years later, it was in a niche industry. Four or five years later, I got a call from someone in that niche, not in that company, but in that niche saying that they were looking for a person to put in an interesting position in a startup company and that I had been recommended as someone with backbone and perspective. And I thought, wow, telling the truth worked. (laughs) So that was, it was an important moment. Uh, You know, it took all my courage to do it. Really, I still can feel that I was blushing, blushing and shaking. And I told them the truth. That was a pretty interesting moment. I was maybe 21 or two. I was 22. I must have been 22. Um, other moments where I've been blamed for things I didn't do and I felt terrible about it. And then I discovered that, you know what, I didn't do it. I don't, I don't have to listen to that. And I started to develop my own sense of, of myself. 
moments where I watched other people doing things well and other people doing things badly and could take away a lesson. So many of them. I bet you have some great ones too. You know, we all do. Anybody, everybody does. You could go back to your second grade and think about what a teacher said that influenced you in a good or a bad way. Stefania, how have the challenges of the recent years influenced or shifted how you lead? What? Were there challenges in the recent years? Just a few. How has it shifted? I would say that you don't know what you're like until you've been through a bad time. You know, it's, this is one of the reasons that you shouldn't marry somebody after six weeks because you're all still in the honeymoon period. You have to find out what each other are like when you and a bad thing has happened. And because we can all behave well in good times. Uh, in the bad, we've been through some really tough times, definitely the toughest times in the history of our company. And I have learned two, I have seen two things about myself. One is the focus on helping each other, on truth, on rowing together. That focus has not changed. We have strengthened that and it has continued to help us more than ever. I have seen also that I'm human. I've said a few bad things. I've done a few bad things in the last two years. I've been short and difficult and not compassionate in ways that I am not proud of. But I've been able to come back and say, guys, do I have enough credit in the bank from previous times to work through that? And because I've owned it, I get forgiven. And so learning that you can make a mistake, that perfection is not what you should aim for, but that truth is what you should aim for, continues to be an important thesis. It has helped us through this, and it's helped all of us, I think. I mean, it feels to me like it's helped all of us. Savanya, would you talk a little bit more specifically about how Easy Cater has navigated the last two years? So central to our culture, we, we have a culture recipe with 10 ingredients in it. And so the most important ingredient, the chocolate in the chocolate cake, the one ingredient that you really cannot operate without is to go beyond helpful, to be beyond helpful to everybody. And we apply it to our restaurant partners, to the people who are ordering food, to the corporate decision maker that's bringing us in as a corporation-wide, enterprise-wide food solution, to our, our own vendors, to the landlord, to the people who pay the payroll, do the payroll for us and to each other, right? I mean, just go beyond helpful. And we have, we've doubled down on that. We have found that we just have learned new ways to be helpful. For example, at the beginning of the pandemic, we, uh, we forewent all of our revenue for a month for all of our restaurant partners. The board was pretty shocked, but they were willing to support it because they understood that we needed to keep our restaurant partners in business. We created a tool to allow people to put in money and funnel that money into feeding frontline workers. And we didn't take any revenue off of that. It helped keep our restaurant partners in place in business and it helped feed frontline workers, which helped all of us. We did the most useful, helpful ways that we could, the most respectful and gracious and financially strong ways that we could help those employees we had to let go because we did have to let people go. And then we thought, in this new world, how are people going to use food in workplaces? And we figured out how to help, how to, again, go beyond being helpful to help to, to those to people in these new settings. 
Someone told me once, do what you love and the money will follow. There's some truth to that. It's a little simplistic, but there's a lot of truth in that. Be true to ourselves. Be terrifically helpful to our customers, our partners, our restaurant partners, who are also customers to us, and the money follows. So I guess it goes back to something Carolyn asked me before. Really, we doubled down on the ways that we used to operate. We continued that helped us carry us through. We continue to do that to this day. So, Stefania, while you have navigated these challenges, and that's really some terrific insight and story, or even throughout your career, you mentioned one note right now, but what would you say uh, additionally is some of the best advice that you've been given? Do it. Just do it. (laughs) You know, so many of us, I certainly started out risk averse. I started out worrying more about downside protection, People, many of us are failure averse. We would rather avoid a failure than achieve a success. We would rather protect against the downside than grab for the upside. And I have over my lifetime shifted to more and more acceptance of risk, in fact, willingness to adopt risk. We have another one of the ingredients in our culture recipe is try it and track it. Create an experimentation mindset. Be willing to try it. You do have to think for a second, like if I try this and it doesn't work, is that fatal? How bad is that? But most things you can try and then pull back and you've learned something from having tried it. The point is keep moving, just do it, keep moving. Do not let fear control your actions. You can be cautious, but if you're fearful, you've crossed over to where you're no longer experimenting, you're no longer learning at the pace that you could and that I would say now you should. So I think the best advice I've gotten is advice that continually propelled me forward at various points. I remember one guy who called me up and asked me, it was a recruiter from whom I had hired a lot of people. And every two or three years, he would call me and say, I'm not here to bring you people that you want to hire. I'm here to offer you a job that you should take. And I would thank him and I would say, wow, at one point I said, wow, I've never done that job before. And he said, oh, Stefania, you always say that. And I realized he was right. I had had twice before I had accepted offers for jobs I had never done before that he had thought I was ready for and that the hiring company thought I was ready for and that he kind of encouraged me into taking. And I realized this third time when he said, oh, Stefania, you always say that. I thought I can just edit that out of my mindset. I should just try it. And it did. This was the kind of thing that just kept propelling me forward. Just try it. Just do it. My co-founder, Briscoe Rogers, he has, I don't know if the guy knows what the word fear means. <laughs> and and so I've always watched him and I've been like, uh, he's still upright. He keeps trying stuff. It has helped wow. strengthen my conviction that action is so much better than inaction. Mm. I love that. It's amazing. So on that note, then, you know, what's your best advice that you might give to the next generation of executives? Just do it. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I thought. You know, <laughs> there's another piece of advice. At one point, we were struggling. It was another company, another one of my startups. We were struggling financially. We were quite close to the edge. It was really one of those, like, can I make payroll? And how long will I be able to keep this up? And we were faced with the question of, should we invest in, I can't remember what. And I turned to my most senior guy and said, what do you think? 
And he said, I think we should optimize for success. We cannot be so cautious that we predetermine that we're going to fail. Optimize for success. And so we spent the money, even though someone might have thought it was profligate to do so, we spent the money, got the return from that. It strengthened us and it turned out to be the right decision. Had it not worked, I think I still would have said that was the right decision. It was better to move in a way that was going to teach us and potentially open a door. It was better to do that than to stay in a fetal position, curled up, trying to protect ourselves. Just keep going. Optimize for the success scenario. From early stage to a billion-dollar valuation, you have led companies through lots of change. How do you stay the course, staying true to these leadership principles and in your approach to change management and growth? You know, I worried in the early days of EasyCater when we had such a powerful and much-loved culture. It was strong. It was loved. It made people flourish. I worried as we got bigger, would we lose that? Because the truism is, as you get bigger, you know, things get diluted and you lose it. It turns out, I have proof now because we got to almost a thousand people before pandemic, that you don't have to lose it. You just have to hire each individual to match your values, which are essentially the ingredients in our culture recipe. And if everybody matches your values, if you don't start cutting corners on whom you hire and hire people who might be wonderful people, but they have different values from yours. They might be very smart. They might be very capable, but they have different values from yours. If you don't hire those people and you only hire people who are capable of doing the job and match your values, and you say to each individual, you own the culture too. This is not a top-down thing. You own the culture too. If you do that, it gets stronger the bigger you get. I've proven that now I'm completely comfortable growing again. We're going to grow back to the size of the employee size to the, that we were before. It's piece of cake. We'll grow beyond that piece of cake. Make it everybody's job and make sure that everybody is a citizen of the country that you are building. Can you expand on that a little bit? You know, recruitment and retention is, is huge for everyone. The work environment is continuing to change, you know, daily. So how do you find that they share those values? What are some of the the ways that you communicate uh, with employees and potential employees to know that they will fit that culture recipe? How do you communicate that? And what are some of the keys to retaining and finding great people? Sure. We have, for the second time, built a recruiting machine that is better than that I will match up against any recruiting machine on the planet. We did it the first time around before the pandemic. We had to let many of those people go because for months and months we were not hiring people. We've rebuilt that machine. Our talent team is very explicit about the whole process of attracting candidates, sorting through and sifting through the candidates, and then going through the interview process. No job gets posted without the talent team and the hiring manager and they often the people who are involved who are going to work with the coworkers of that individual that's going to be hired or the role for which you're trying to fill. 
no job gets posted until we've understood what the job is. We've created a list of questions. We've created a profile. We've parceled out the questions to different people so that different interviewers so that we understand how to, that we're sure that we've covered the waterfront and all the questions that we do ask across the whole interview panel. We compare candidates fairly against each other because each person's asking the same questions. Each interviewer is asking the same questions. Mm -hmm. And we do training to make sure that we're as blind as we can possibly be to any kind of bias that we get rid of things that we would inadvertently use to uh, opt good talent out. And some of our questions and some of the test cases, we put people through sort of a work project where you ask them to do work of the sort, that, you know, to do an interview task where they're doing work similar to what they would be doing in the real job. And we carefully structure those so that they will give us a chance to see what this person is like in the way they behave, see how well they exhibit our values, and we develop our noses for how well we see match with the values. Yeah. It's a very explicit, deliberate process. Any uh, advice about how to address retention, which is of concern for so many people right now? Retention is a huge deal. We have always operated with, uh, in a culture of respect. You go beyond helpful to each other and to your partners and your vendors and so on because you respect them. And with respect comes, if you actually respect your employees, you don't have to unleash them. You have to not leash them in the first place. You know, people come in not leashed. Most employee, most employers immediately leash them. We would rather give them, give our people, we do give our people so much authority and to go with their responsibility that they gasp. They routinely say, you mean I can just do that? I don't have to get permission. I don't have to ask. I don't have to, I don't have to go through, you know, the forms in triplicate. I don't have to do all that. We give people terrific amount of authority to go with their responsibility. There's a lot of autonomy and we have a great deal of flexibility. We are a organization that lets you to the greatest extent possible, set your working hours, set your working location. As long as you're available when it makes sense for you to be available when you know we we don't arbitrarily say you must be here certain hours of course we have for our customer service team we have shifts that we have to cover but we let people opt into the shifts to the greatest extent that we can that you know that we can make it possible for people to pick where they want to work what hours they want to work we have salespeople who have to work when the customers or the prospects are available to be talked to but again, there's some flexibility there. And when do you do all that extra work where you are filling out the follow-on forms or you're updating your CRM system or you're looking for leads, do it at the time that works for you. So a tremendous amount of flexibility. Flexibility, authority, responsibility in equal measure, kindness, and food. Love we it. give them a lot of food. <laughs> That's <laughs> food <is> <laughs> Food is really useful. It, food is food makes everything better. <laughs> food is love, right? Food is love. There we go. Food is love. One of our customers actually said that the love language of the office is food. <laughs> and I thought, you know, it's true. Love language of any workplace is food. <laughs> I think it's also responsibility, authority, respect, flexibility. Flexibility. 
Can you share some of your observations on the economy and future outlook of our city? So I love Boston. I grew up here. Uh, I'm pretty proud of the fact that we're building one of the iconic companies in the city of Boston, in my hometown. Boston is coming up to 400 years. And it has been a vibrant city from the beginning. It turns out Massachusetts is the third most densely populated state in the country, which means that in our little tiny state, we have an awful lot of good things concentrated. And if you look at the economy, you see how diverse it is. The industry here is terrifically diverse. That is something that has saved us. And clearly that kind of diversity uh, is what has kept us vibrant for 390 years. I see no reason why that won't continue to work with, for to our benefit. I'm old enough to remember, I was just starting working when a company called Cullinet was the biggest software company in the world. It was based right here in Boston. It went public. It was the first pure software company to go public. It was just in the late 70s. It went public then. It was a spectacular success story. Uh, we had at that same time, I don't know, 80, 75% of all the mini computers, which was a thing at that time, being designed and manufactured right here in actually Massachusetts. And that's gone. It's moved on to the next thing. And we are now number two in the world of software, in the world of high tech. But look at how much else we have. Look at the other diversity, look at the biotech, look at the robotics, look at, and this is just in high tech, look at all the other industries. We, the diversity is, it's always been here and it's gonna continue to, to help us. We've got a lot of resilience. Right now, the downtown is still looks like tumbleweeds rolling through the city, but it'll come back. It, it already was coming back and then Delta stopped it and then it started to come back again and then Omicron stopped it. It'll come back. We're a strong city. I have a lot of optimism for Boston and it's got 390 years of data saying there's a reason to be optimistic. We're optimistic as well. Absolutely. Stefania, we'd like to close with some rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Sure. All right. Off the top <laughs> of your head. They are, but go for it. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What are you currently reading or watching? Oh, wow. I read a ton of books, but I have to say for something that struck me lately is Ted Lasso. <laughs> I know it's popular. Ted Lasso is just lovely. It's just so much smarts and heartfelt wisdom. And what's that line? Uh, be curious, not judgmental. I was so embarrassed. I thought, yeah, this has happened to me. This is what I mentioned before that I can be not some of the moments that I have not been the finest in the last two years under the stress is when I'm just flat out judgmental instead of like, well, why did that happen? I go, what the hell? Be curious, not judgmental. Ted Lasso. Everybody should watch. It's great. It's okay, hilarious. Swearing. You can't watch with your little kids, but leaving aside the swearing, <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> it is. What's a cause that you're passionate about? People. People. I would like to further people. I am a died in the wool, secular humanist. And I think people have gotten us into the mess we're in and people will get us out of the mess we're in. How can we further people? What is a Boston organization or leader to watch? Boston organization or there's so many. I would start with the healthcare industry. 
thank you, you know, thank you, Moderna, thank you, but every healthcare worker, thank you. And then there's one organization I'm a real fan of, which is called Resilient Coders. This is an organization that goes into the underserved communities and pulls out talent and turns them into programmers, uh, software engineers that companies like me are gasping for. We'd like to hire as many people as we possibly can in that space. And the Resilient Coders talent team is talent pool is a great pool to draw from. So great organization. We're very impressed with how well they work. What's your favorite spot in our city? My favorite spot? Uh, can I have two? I like the entire Greenway. And I have to tell you, I'm a huge fan of chicken and rice guys. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. They are just, that's like the best food on the planet. Chicken and rice guys or the house special noodle soup at Dean's Flatbread Cafe. There we go. Awesome. Awesome. All our listeners are going to be flocking there. Fantastic. What makes you laugh? Uh, People. (laughs) People. We're the pretty, we're, we're the funniest animals on the planet, though, I'll tell you. Go look up Google uh, Comedy Wildlife Photography Awards, and you will see that people are funny, but that animals, the non-human animals, give you some competition. There's some pretty funny comedy wildlife photography out there. People make me laugh. And finally, what's a wish you have for Boston? A wish for Boston. Embrace more diversity, not just of industry, but of people, please. And let's just understand that let's get COVID to where we are as comfortable with it as we have become with the flu and with polio and smallpox. Let's use all the techniques we've used. Let's figure out how to coexist with it and let's repopulate the city, the downtown. Let's get back to the excitement of the city downtown. Absolutely. And that wraps up another episode. Thank you so much for joining us, Stefania, and for sharing your insights. Thank you. It was great to be here. I'm John Bernstein. And I'm Carolyn Jones, and this is C-Speak, the language of executives. Our guest today was Stefania Millette, co-founder and CEO of Easy Cater. You can find PNC C-Speak at bizjournals.com backslash Boston or on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Until next time. You've been listening to PNC C-Speak, the language of executives. This podcast and other engaging episodes can be found at bizjournals.com slash Boston. Search PNC. Subscribe at the Boston Business Journal, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Come back soon and join us for another PNC C-Speak.